Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. Um, I love 2 Corinthians 8 because when you really begin to dig into this, here's, here's, you have to always ask these questions when you're reading the Bible, right? You have to ask, like, who wrote this? Uh, who, who was it written to? Why was it written? You, you begin to ask those contextual questions to help you really grasp an understanding of what's going on here. And when you begin to study 2 Corinthians 8, you'll see that this, this letter here, Paul is writing uh, to this church that he planted uh, years before this. And literally, 2 Corinthians is different from 1 Corinthians, not just because of the numbers, but because of the seasons by which he's writing. 1 Corinthians has a whole other theme, a whole other meaning, and, and I don't want to dig into that. But 2 Corinthians um, chapter 1 here, really the entire 2 Corinthians, is really Paul, is, he's, he's really sort of answering to some of the critics in Corinth that are now are starting to question the authenticity of Paul's spiritual leadership as an apostle. Here's why. Because Paul had gone through so many sufferings, like so much pain, so many trials. Like, you're talking about having a bad day? Like, Paul, when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, I was beaten, I was stoned, not with weed, but with rocks. I was beaten, I was stoned, I, I, was, I was abandoned, I was shipwrecked, I was bit by a snake. Like, he, I mean, when you see his, like, the stuff that happened to Paul, it's like, whatever your worst day was, like, trust me. Like, Paul probably had a worse day, okay? But because his experience was so severe in trials and imprisonments and impoverishment and all this stuff, the people in Corinth begin to say, you know what? There's no way that God is for Paul as an apostle. There's no way he's this super apostle if, if he's going to go through all that. Like, there's got to be something broken there. And, and this is truly the case, is that Corinth did not have a healthy theology of suffering, and they thought if Paul is really a good guy, then why is he having so many bad days? And the truth is, is that you and I, we live in the West. We live in America, and I think that that type of theology has actually creeped into our Christianity where we look at suffering and we think, well, maybe God's not good, or maybe I've done something wrong. And we can begin to see our trials and our troubles as just like, man, God's not with me. God's not for me. God must not love me, or God's not a good God. We, we can begin to question all of those things when, whenever we don't truly have an understanding of what suffering and what trials and what those seasons are really all about. And so Paul starts writing this letter to the church of Corinth saying, listen, don't get it twisted. Just because I'm having troubles, it doesn't mean that God isn't for me. Just because I'm going through suffering, it doesn't mean that I'm not who I say I am, that I'm apostle of Jesus Christ. And so literally his letter is, is he's reminding them that even though he's walking through troubles and pressures and trials and all these problems, even though he has problems, he's like, that doesn't disqualify the fact that I am who I say I am, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and that God truly does love me. And he's trying to realign them and give them a, a, a healthy theology on suffering. And my prayer is that we can hopefully gain some of that ourselves. Um, here, here's the thing. I know what you may be thinking, like, man, I came to church for a, a good message, like a positive message today, and you're going to talk to me about suffering. Uh, here's what I know, okay, here's what I know, here's the reality. You're either coming out of trouble, in the middle of trouble, or you're about to go into some trouble. Like, geez, Jason, can you just be more positive? Yes, I am positive that you're going to go through trouble. 
That's it. It's just a reality. This is not a prophetic word, people. This is just life. Why? Because the world's broken. Thank you, Adam and Eve. The world is broken. The world is screwed up. The world is messed up. We live in a fallen world. And because of that, because things have not been completely restored, um, because we're not at the end of this whole thing where God is wrapping it up, we're just going to walk through pain. People that you love are going to die. You, you may get a bad diagnosis. It's not, it's not because of any other thing other than we live in a fallen world, a bad world. And you cannot help what happens to you, but you can help your response to it. And that's what we're going to talk about for a little bit. Um, I, I remember one of the worst days of my life was, um, I think it was November the 10th, back in 2010. I think it was November the 10th. And there's some people in this room that, that remembers the day I'm talking, talking about. There's some friends of ours. It was a day that a young man that was in our, our youth, our student ministry on our staff, he was tragically killed. Listen to this. Outside of church on a Sunday morning at a 9 a.m. service at the church we attended, he was outside literally putting up some signs directing people to come to church, like welcome home, welcome to church. And a car swerved off the road, 22 years old, and, and crushed this young man and killed him. And um, it was one of the worst moments of my life. There is people in here right now that, that, that we have a good friend of mine, Brad Duplachan. He's right over here. He's, he's here. He, he lives down in, in the L.A. area, and he came up here for a few days. But, Brad, you remember, that was one of the worst days of our life. Andy, it was one of the worst days of our life when, when you experience loss at that level. And here's one of the things that I discovered in that process. I discovered that there are stages. There are stages in suffering. There's six that I want to talk about today, six different stages. The first three, you cannot control. It's, they're going to happen. The last three, you do have a choice in, in the last three. But I'm going to give you these six stages. We're just going to walk through them and six solutions, kind of a pro tip that I would kind of tell you and encourage you from God's word. Here's the first stage. When you walk through a bad day, you walk through some of your worst moments, the first stage is the stage of, a stage of shock, excuse me, stage of shock. You're going to feel shocked. What is that? It's when you say things like, or you feel things or think things like, I can't believe. I can't believe she's leaving me. I can't believe I'm losing my job. I can't believe that my kids have done this. I say that all the time. I'm always in a state of shock at my house. I can't believe. I can't believe. I can't believe that they did this to me. I can't believe that they're walking out on me. I can't believe that I've been diagnosed with this. I can't believe, it's, it's when we get in this state of shock and things become so uneasy, un, uneasy and so emotional and so unstable. And it's in those moments that a lot of times we have to make decisions because that's what life is made up. It's just a series of decisions, right? But it's in those moments when we, when we walk through some of the worst moments of our life and we're in a state of shock and we're completely, like the emotions are running wild. That is the, the place where you cannot, this is the tip, you cannot isolate yourself and make decisions by yourself with just those emotions in a state of shock. You can't do it. It's one of the worst things. And as a pastor and counseling people, a lot of times what happens is I'll have to counsel people through bad decisions that they made as a result of a season of shock that they were in. And then they made decisions in an emotional moment and it's caused them to be in an even worse situation. And I've got to help them unravel all of that. It's one of the most challenging things. But I love what Ecclesiastes chapter four says. Listen, it says two are better than one, especially if it's tacos. <laughs> this is terrible theology, but it's gospel. Two are better than one. Watch. Why? Because, he's talking about people, not tacos people. Okay, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. You can get, you can get more accomplished, right? If either of them falls down, 
One can help the other up. But look at this. This is a sage, Solomon, one of the wisest men in the world. He says this, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. In other words, listen, it's just a sad day when you go through one of your worst moments where you feel like life has knocked you on your back and you're on the ground. You have fallen either because of sin or just because of suffering, whatever the case may be. Listen, he's saying it's a sad day when you have got yourself in this place where you're by yourself and you've fallen and you have no one to help you out. You have no one there to encourage you out of the discouragement or the depression. You have no one to just grab you by the hand and to help you up and to get you to, to the place where you can, you can be in a solid place emotionally. It's a sad day when you, when you have no one to help you out. I was thinking about this earlier. I remember reading a story when I was younger about this guy that had fallen in a deep hole. And literally, he could not get out. He could not climb out of the hole. He had fallen in there, and he had no one to help him out, and he could not help himself. Finally, a guy comes walking by, and uh, the guy starts yelling, please help me. Please, can you, can you help me out? And the guy just looked at him, kind of like the Good Samaritan story, and he just passed by on the other side. Didn't help him out. This guy's like, I have no one to help me out. Second guy comes, comes by, and uh, this guy looks kind of like a banker. He's like got a lot of money. He's got his briefcase, just looking really fresh. And the guy's yelling, please, can somebody help me? Can you help me get out of this hole that I've got myself in? And the guy just walks by. Finally, this third guy comes walking up, and, uh, and the guy starts yelling. He's like, please, can you please help me out? I have no one to help me out. The guy jumps in the hole with this guy, and he's like, what's up? And the guy's like, you idiot. He's like, how are we going to get out of this thing? And the guy goes, man, chill out. I've been here before, and I know the way out. <laughs> Listen, you need to have people in your life that when you're in a hole, they can, they can jump in that hole with you and say, Listen, I've been here before, and I know the way out. you got to have people like that. He says, pity. You guys can feel the liberty to clap and to say amen at any moment. It's going to make me preach better and faster, okay? <laughs> Ask my wife. She says amen to me at home all the time. Amen, Pastor Laird. That would be so weird. She doesn't do that. <laughs> Listen, write this down. Here, here's, 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 here's sort of my tip to you. When life falls apart, don't run from God and people. You got to run to them. I am, I am telling you, if I've learned anything in my short little 37 years of existence, is that when I go through tough times, my natural proclivity is to isolate myself and just to go over all these thoughts in my head, which we're going to get to in just a moment, and to, and to, to distance myself from God and people. It's, it's, I don't know why I do it. I don't know why you do it, but we do it. But the Bible says, don't do that. Like, don't do it. Just don't do it. Don't run from God. Don't run from people. You got to run to God. You got to run to people. Listen, here's the a, here's a second stage is this. You go through, you go through some of your worst moments First would be the stage of shock, and then the stage of sorrow. You'll begin to feel sorrow set in. You'll begin to feel the emotion of grief hit you like a wave. I felt that when my friend Jordan passed away. It was so unbearable. It was like wave upon wave upon wave of emotion, and, and I could not stop the tears. Listen, sorrow is not a sin. It's, a, it, it's just part of our life. Tears and grief, it's just part of it. When you walk through things, listen to me, some of you fellows need to hear that. It's okay to cry. You don't have to always be so strong. Some of you ladies need to hear that too. Hey. 
You don't have to always be so strong. Tears and those, those emotions of grief, that is totally normal. My wife tells me all the time that when she dies, that we're not having a funeral for her. We're just going to throw a party. That's right. No. I tell my wife, that is not normal. I'm like, babe, babe, when I die, I want bagpipes. Because you know that sounds so sad. I want bagpipes playing Amazing Grace or Danny Boy. I want taps. I want them to shoot the rifles with a give, fold up an American flag. And I wasn't even in the military. Fold it up, give it to Jennifer. I want people weeping at my funeral. I want people crying. Why? It's normal. It's normal to cry. It's normal to feel sorrow when you go through something of loss. It's totally normal. Uh, Jesus, uh, one of my favorite verses of scripture, so the first one I ever memorized was uh, Jesus wept. <laughs> it's the shortest verse in scripture. Jesus wept. Um, but I love it because it shows us the humanity of our, our Savior. Is that his friend Lazarus, remember his good friend Lazarus, he, he dies. And when Jesus, Jesus sees Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, when he sees them in this place of suffering or this place of grief because they've lost their brother, it literally it begins to break Jesus' heart. And he just begins to weep and he begins to cry at the loss of his friend and at the grief of his sisters there. And I love that because it just shows us that it's okay. If Jesus could cry, it's okay for you to cry. Now, here, here's the, the only problem is that when you get overwhelmed by your sorrow and you allow grief to overwhelm you. Listen, it's okay to have grief, but it's not okay for grief to have you. Like when it begins to overtake you and overwhelm you, it's not a good place to be in. So what do you do with it? I love what David said in Psalm 61. He says this, hear my cry, O God. He says, attend to my prayer. Attend means we lean in, God. Will you, will you pay attention to my heart's cry in this moment? From the end of the earth, I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, this is what he says. Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Yeah. David said, he, he realized this. Like, I'm in a state where I'm, 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 there's sorrow and there's tears and I'm crying. I'm not just crying up people to try to make people feel sorry for me, but I'm crying out to God. I'm bringing my tears to God. I'm so thankful that he bottles up every single tear. He cares, and, he, and David says, I'm leaning in, and I'm crying out to you, but I'm asking you, God, because I'm feeling overwhelmed. Will you lead me? See, sometimes you get to a place in sorrow where you can't lead yourself because of the emotions and the sorrow, and you need the Holy Spirit, you need the presence of God to lead you to, he says, a rock that is higher than I. What is a rock? It's a place of, 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 of like this solid, it's steadfast, it's firm, it's unshakable. He says, God, my emotions are so shaky right now. Will you lead me to a place where, where I can feel solid again and stable again? Have you ever been in that place where you felt unstable because of your emotions? He says, I feel unstable, but will you lead me by your presence? Will you lead me to a rock that is higher than I? Like, this is out of my reach. I can't get this, but will you, by your presence, will you lead me there? See, David, David was a worshiper. Da David, when you look at the songs that he wrote in the book of Psalms, Psalms simply means they're prayers, they're songs. David would write these songs that you can go back and read. There's, there's many of them, and they were in some of the worst moments of his life. Many of them he wrote in a cave, the cave of Adullam. I've been there by that cave in Israel. And he wrote those as a fugitive running from his, for his life where, people, where his enemy literally was trying to kill him. And he would be by himself in this cave and he would pray and he would cry out to God and he'd write down these songs. 
And you know what he would do? He would just begin to worship. He wasn't just, it wasn't just a journal where he was just that depressed guy that's just crying on his journal and like tears and just like, oh my gosh, poor pitiful me. No, these were worship songs. Look at it. He was like, I'm, I'm going to tell my soul, bless the Lord, oh my soul. I mean, he would worship God in those moments. He would praise God. In the worst moments of his life, he gave God his best praise. Worship changes everything, and he, he knew that. It changes everything. My, uh, my tip to you is simply to, to do this. In your worst moments, choose to give God your best praise. Choose in spite of whatever you're walking through and going through that you will worship God, that you will, you will sing to God. You will praise him for who he is in spite of your situation, in spite of the, the, the news that you've received, in spite of all those things. God, I'm going to worship you. The Bible says this. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise will continually be on my lips. Not just on the good days, not just on Sundays, whenever Josh is up here singing or Elton's singing, and we have a worship team leading us. But he says, every single day, the good days and the bad days, I will bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, I will praise his holy name. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my lips. you got to get to the place where even in your worst days, you give God your best praise. Paul and Silas, wasn't it Paul and Silas or Paul and Barnabas, one of those guys? They, they were in prison. They were thrown in prison, and the Bible says they were in shackles. They were in chains. Literally, they were in stocks, like a, a wood plank between their legs with, with shackles around it, and their hands were shackled. And in that moment, the Bible says at the midnight hour, it's that dark time, right? The midnight hour. I love it. I heard Jensen Franklin say one time, he says, a lot of people preach the midnight hour is the darkest hour. He said, I think midnight is the beginning of a new day. And it was in this moment they're in shackles and stocks in their worst moment. This is a bad moment. You don't know if you're about to die. You don't know if they're going to execute you. You don't know if you're going to be stuck like this the rest of your life. You don't know if you're never going to eat another taco again. Okay, this is a bad day. And it's in this moment, Paul starts singing. Come on, Silas. Sing that harmony with me, my brother. And they start singing and they're worshiping and they start singing and worshiping God. They're giving God their best praise in their worst moment. And the Bible says the shackles fall off of them. Do you know that your praise can be a problem for your problem? Let me say it again. Your praise can be a problem for your problem. There's a problem that you may be dealing with and walking through right now. You may be walking through a season of suffering or hardship or trials or trouble. But listen, your praise, you can literally begin to praise your way out of that situation. Not Listen, I'm not saying you're going to... If you're sick, you're just going to praise and then you're going to get healed. But you can, get, you can praise your, your perspective out of that, that thing. You can get yourself to where you're thinking at a higher level and you begin to see from God's perspective the cancer. You begin to see from God's perspective the divorce, how they left you. You begin to see from God's perspective how you were laid off from your job. You begin to see it from that place and you'll begin to get God's perspective on it. And I'm telling you, it changes everything. Why? Worship, it just changes everything. I, I, I love it. Listen, I, I love how David said, come an invitation. Come magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. He says, come magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Here's what I think we do when we walk through seasons of suffering, seasons that are just a challenge, hardship, or we're walking through just some things that we just feel like, man, this is, it feels like it's always trouble at every single corner. What we tend to do as humans is we tend to magnify those things. We do. That is that we focus on them. And we begin to magnify our problem, magnify our season, magnify our suffering. We begin to magnify those things as if you have a, a magnifying glass and you're just making it bigger. The more you think about it, the bigger it's going to get, the bigger it's going to get. And you just magnify those problems. I do it. We magnify those situations. But David says, you got to literally, you have to come, stop magnifying the problems 
and he says, come magnify the Lord with me. It's as if your, your worship is like a magnifying glass, and you're flipping it up, and you're looking at God through, your, through the lens of worship. And he says, come magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Let's magnify his name. Let's stop magnifying our problem, and let's start magnifying God. Now, here's the thing, is that the size of God does not change. Your perception of him does. You, you stop focusing on the problem, and you begin to focus on God. That's what your worship does. I want to encourage you. You're going through a season right now that you need to worship the Lord. You need to begin to just cry out to the Lord. Um, I, I was thinking about this, that um, it was years ago. I think it was 2000 and I don't remember. It was a long time ago. I'm getting old. I'm losing my memory. And uh, I went to the doctor and I had a bad report come back. And this bad report, um, it just really rocked me. And it was really, it, it was, when I say it was a bad report, it was more questions. It was some things like they didn't know how to diagnose something. And it was like, it was like elevated liver enzymes and it was something else. And it was all this weird stuff. And it literally, I, I think Jennifer was pregnant with Liam at the time. And I didn't tell her. I remember I just got overwhelmed. And I remember thinking, I'm going to die. I'm not even going to be able to see my son. And I was just, man, it rocked me. And literally, I just kept going over the worst case scenarios. I started WebMDing. Dear God, I hate WebMD. And I just started freaking out. I mean, my emotions were running wild. And, um, and I finally got to this place where I thought, you know what? This is, this is not good. I'm ruminating. You know what ruminating is? Uh, cows are, my, my brother-in-law, is, he's going to be proud of me in this moment right here because he's a farmer. He's got like 80 cows and horses and pigs, and it's crazy. Um, but ruminating Cows are ruminating animals. Uh, a cow will eat the grass and put it in its mouth, and they start, you know, they chew. It's like their face goes sideways. They chew, they chew, they chew, they chew, they chew. They'll swallow the grass. It'll go to their stomach. Then they'll regurgitate the grass back up, and they chew and chew and chew. They're ruminating. They'll chew and chew and chew and chew. And I think I'm going to swallow that again. Swallow that again, and then they'll regurgitate it back up. They're ruminating. You and I, we're ruminating people that we will do this. We'll start having these thoughts in our bad seasons, our bad moments. We'll chew on those thoughts, and it gets worse and worse and worse, and you'll swallow it into your soul, and then you, you'll regurgitate those thoughts back up, and you just, and it always comes up grosser. I promise you that. <laughs> we're ruminating by, by, by nature. I remember I was ruminating these thoughts of like, oh, my God, what if this happens? What about this? What if this? What if this? What if this? And the Holy Spirit graciously just kind of elbowed me, okay? I love the, 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 the kind hand of the Lord, but sometimes that, he'll throw an elbow on you. And he just threw an elbow on me and said, Jason, you, you're, 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 you just keep going over all these thoughts in your mind. You're stressing yourself out. You need to get into my presence, and you need to just worship. And I remember going into my office, and I shut the door. I had a little glass window on my, on my office door, and I just I covered it up with paper so no one would bother me. I locked the door. And I just cranked up worship as loud as I could. And I just started walking around my, my, my desk, circling, just lifting my hands, praising God, worshiping God. And I got to the place, literally, I got to the place where I began to sense the presence of God. And then his peace began to fill my heart. And I remember thinking this, even if, even if the worst thing that I pass away, even if I know that God's going to take care of my wife, He's going to take care of my son. And I begin to get, and that's a, that sounds dark, but literally, I, it, it, I could literally say, it is well with my soul. It is well. Why? Worship. It changes everything. Stage three is struggle. It's the struggle. Here, here, here's the, the struggle. The struggle is real. 
it's when we have this three-letter word that we, we move from shock to sorrow to struggle. We start struggling with why. This is the struggle. That when something happens, that person passes away, you lose your job, the business still goes south, and you start, you start just wondering why. Now, there's a great sense of we should always be asking those questions and, and seeking to understand and to learn. And God's not afraid of your why, by the way. He's okay with your why. He's okay with, your, with, with you just not, you know, understanding fully and you coming to him with even your doubts. Like, Jesus did not uh, punch Thomas in the face when he came to him doubting that he was really uh, resurrected, right? That didn't happen. Read your Bible. Jesus did not get Thomas doubting Thomas. That's what we, we call him, doubting Thomas. How would you like that on your profile? <laughs> Jesus said, hey, look, give me your hand. I, I can deal with your doubt. Give me your hand. Touch my side. Or touch my side. Like, I'm, I'm okay. Bring your doubt to me. See, God can deal with it. He can deal with those things. But that question why is, we start, to, we start to think this. If I don't get an answer to the why, why this happened, I can't move beyond this. There's so many people that I have met as a pastor that are stuck in the why. They're stuck in the struggle. They're no longer in the season anymore, but they're still stuck in the struggle. They're no longer walking through all that pain. They're 10 years removed, five years removed, but they're still, they're like, I'm, they don't say it like this, but they're like, I'm never going to move past this unless God answers me and tells me why. And we begin to kind of shake our finger up at God, and we expect for him to explain his, his self to us. And listen, he, he doesn't have to tell us anything. He's God. He doesn't have to tell us why. Sometimes I think, I think it's that place where he says, I, I, I would tell you, but... That would eliminate you from having to trust me. It, you, see, this is, it sounds good, Teresa, but it's, I mean, this is a hard word for some people. Because we're, we're, we're in this place, aren't we, sometimes? Like, God, unless you explain this to me, I'm not going to keep following you. God, if you don't, if you don't answer the, the question why, I'm not going to church anymore. You, you don't tell me why you took my son, I'm done with you. I'm walking out. And people, they stay in the struggle because they get stuck in the why. And here's what I know is that sometimes we may never get an answer to the why until we, we stand before Jesus on that day. And I don't even know if he'll tell us why. I think he'll just, we'll look at him and we'll go, now I know. The Bible says that we'll see him face to face and then it'll all make sense. It'll all make sense. That's why I lost her. That's why that fell apart. It's in the struggle. Jeremiah said this. He says, why was I born? Jeremiah 20. Why? Why was I born? Was it only to have trouble and sorrow? Ever felt like that? Even Jesus, listen to this, even Jesus, Matthew 27, Jesus cried out to his father, my God, my God, why? Why? Direct your tough questions to God. He can deal with it. But at the end of the day, you just have to know that there's a decision that you have to make, and it's this is when this life falls apart, I must keep my eyes on the life to come. Here's what I mean, is that in this life, you will deal with trouble, you will have problems, but you can't get stuck in the why. You just have to say, you know what, God, I'm just going to trust that there's another day coming and that I'll see you face to face and I'm going to focus on eternity, not in this present pain in this moment. I think about... Um, a guy, Levi Lesko, he's a friend of mine. His, his young daughter 
uh, she had an asthma attack. I think she was maybe six, seven years old at the time. And she had an asthma attack, and literally she died in his arms from an asthma attack. He's a pastor in Montana. And, um, and he, I think she's now gone to be with Jesus. It's been over 2,000 days, maybe 2,036 days or something like that. And it's amazing what Levi, God has used this story to really encourage and inspire people all over the world. But when you see Levi talk about his daughter, um, it's amazing the perspective that he has. I saw him post on Instagram not too long ago. He said, had a picture of uh, Linya, and it said, uh, 2,036 more days, or 2,036 days closer. Interesting perspective. He didn't say 2,036 days that she's been gone. He said, I'm 2,036 days closer to seeing my daughter. Isn't that amazing? It's this, is that when this life falls apart, we got to keep our eyes on the life to come. Here's the fourth one, and it kind of goes with that, is, is here's the stage. you got to make a choice on this one, is surrender. It's the stage of surrender, the stage of surrender. This is where you make a decision. You're, you're not going to keep ruminating over the why. You're, you're not going to keep, you know, just questioning everything. But you're going to get to the place where you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to surrender and submit to God, and I'm going to trust that he is working things out on my behalf. Look what Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, not a portion of it, but all of your heart. And lean not, lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. In other words, trusting God is the only pathway to peace. That's really what I believe, is that when you walk through seasons where you're struggling through suffering or through hardship and troubles and trials, when you walk through those seasons, you need peace. That's the thing that you need. And I think the only true pathway to peace is when you say, I'm going to stop trying to understand this. I'm going to stop trying to just figure it all out, but I'm just going to trust him, and I'm going to take that path towards peace. I love that. Um, Romans uh, chapter chapter 5, look at this, where Paul says, we continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because in turn, uh, it forges the tempered steel of virtue. Uh, excuse me, because uh, we know how troubles can develop passion, passionate patience in us uh, and how that patience uh, in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectation, expectation, Expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. You know what he's saying? He's like, whenever we go through these seasons, when we go through suffering, when we go through hardship, and we surrender to God, it actually does. Here's the, the next stage. The next stage is that it starts to sanctify us. It's the sanctification stage. Sanctification simply, it, there's two different things it's positional. And it's also a process. Positionally, when you're sanctified, that means that you've been made holy. Because of Jesus, because he's holy, we've been made holy. We're now holy. That's our position. But we're also in this process of being sanctified. That is that our character and conduct is coming into alignment with now our position as being holy, as being followers of Jesus. And it's a process. It's, it's the process of sanctification or the process of development. And what I've discovered is, is that hard times, suffering, Suffering and, and hardships and trials and troubles, they're some of the best tools that God can use in the sanctification process in developing our character and our conduct to make us more like Jesus. Now, no one wants that, right? I would just rather go to church and hear a good sermon. 
But the reality is, is that it's suffering sometimes that can actually bring about the sanctification that God wants to do in our life, making us more like Jesus. I read it even this morning in my devotions. I was at a little coffee shop down the street. And um, can, you, can you hand me my phone, babe, really quick? I was at a little coffee shop right down the street. And, uh, and I read it this morning, Hebrews. Hebrews talks about, I don't have it right here, but Hebrews talks about, I think it was in, in chapter number 12. It starts talking about hardships. Literally, it's, it's, like, it's like being in a school. So it's the school of suffering. Who wants to go on that? Um, <clears throat> I didn't like school anyway. But um, it, he says hardships are like this school of suffering, and, and you go through those places, but it's in that place. It's so amazing. God begins to develop your character Patience, perseverance, steadfastness, all those things. And literally, your trial becomes your training. And he compares it, your trials and your hardships, as discipline, much like the way an athlete disciplines themselves, working out and exercising. I don't know much about that, as you can tell. Um, but he says this. He says, suffering and trials and troubles, actually, it becomes literally like you're working out your character. And, and God's working in you, the spirit of Christ, the character of Christ, but it's how you respond in those seasons. And I think this is so key that you catch this because if you don't see your seasons of suffering as an opportunity to be developed, then when you get in those moments, you won't handle yourself right. I won't handle myself right. But when we're going through a hardship, when we're going through, what if the first thought is not God's mad at me? Not the devil's out to get me. We blame everything on the devil. I think he gets way more credit than he should get. Sometimes it's like you just didn't, you, I mean, you snoozed too many times on your alarm clock and you didn't go to work and they fired you. That was not the devil's fault. I don't know how I gained these 15 pounds. I do. I know. It was not the devil. It was that cheesecake. Sorry, I've lost my place over here. I just, dear Lord, how mercy. <clears throat> Let me get back to this. First Peter says this, so, so we're talking about how suffering can, can be that sanctifying tool that God uses. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says this, uh, he says, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials. Like, these are the scriptures that I always struggle with. It's like, oh, you're going through problems? Just be happy, right? My, my family is from Louisiana. They, they, they had that thousand-year flood in Louisiana. They literally went to their house, and it was six feet underwater. It's like, you imagine, Cottrell, you walk up to your house, you're like, oh, hey, Jocelyn, let's just start praising the Lord. Count it all joy. There's an alligator swimming in through my living room. Count it all joy. It's like, when the Bible says stuff like this, it's just hard to deal with. He says this. He says, even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. Did you know that your trial and the troubles that you walk through, it not only develops your character, it exposes it. It'll let you know. You go through some hard stuff, it'll let you know what you're really made of. If you have grit, if you have grace, and if you have the spirit of Jesus, it'll let you know what begins to come out. It's like the fire, when a refiner's, uh, a refiner's fire, whenever they have gold and they're purifying it, they, they turn up the fire, they turn up the heat, and all the trash comes to the surface. A lot of times, God will turn up the fire because he wants that trash to come up to the surface in our hearts so that he can scrape it all off Leave us pure from the refiner's fire. See, God, that's why he allows it. Sometimes people are like, why does God allow uh, 
troubles and stuff, you say everything has to come across his proverbial desk and he has to stamp approval on it, it's because he knows on the other side of it, if you have the right perspective while you're going into it and while you're in the middle of it, that it will develop you, it will train you, it will sculpt in you the image of Christ, it'll create in you the character of Christ, but it may make some things surface at first. And he has to pull it off the top. Keeps going, and I love this. Sorry, I'm preaching from my phone today because my iPad froze up. Bear with me here. Listen, write this down. Your trouble is your training. I was praying this morning. I feel like God said to give you that. Is that there's some trouble that some of you are walking through right now. You just need to just tell yourself, this is all good. My trouble is my training. You just need to, whenever the enemy starts trying to get into your head, you just need to be like, my trouble is my training. My trial is my training. Here's, here's the solution I want to encourage you with is this. Is my pain is either a gel that imprisons me or a school that shapes me. That's it. Your pain is either a gel that imprisons you or a school that shapes you. Let your trouble be your training. Let your suffering sanctify you, developing you into the person that God has called you to be. Your worst days can be used by God to shape you if you'll trust him with it. Here's stage six, and I'll hurry and wrap up. It's service. You see, the reason God wants to sanctify us or develop us into the person that he wants us to be through our suffering, through our trials, through our troubles, is because of this sixth stage, and we can choose it. It's service. Is, that, is, is, is it simply that God can take the worst moments of our life, our sin and our suffering, even our sin, the worst things in our life, he can take it. He can redeem it. He's in the redeeming business. He can redeem the worst things of your life, and then he can give them back to you for you to surrender to the ministry to be able to help and encourage and inspire other people. It's just what he does. The weapons that the enemy meant to destroy you, God is so good, God can take that weapon out of his hand, the enemy's hand, the, the weapon of addiction, the weapon of abandonment, the weapon of divorce, the weapon of all, all those things. He can take that out of the enemy's hand and he can redeem that terrible season that you walk through. And then he gives it back to you and then you can use the very weapon that the enemy tried to kill you with, you can use it to destroy the works of the enemy in the earth today. That's how good he is. It's how God likes to roll. I love it. It's absolutely amazing. I wrote this down. Some people think I could never be on the dream team or I could never be used by God. Dream team is what we call our, our volunteer folks that serve here. I could never be on the dream team. I could never serve. I could never be in ministry. I could never be used by God because of my past, because of what I've done. I wrote this down. Actually, the very opposite is true. Your past, your struggle, your failures are actually what God wants to use to serve people. The very things that we think disqualify us, when given to God, sub surrendered to God, God can put his grace on it, and then God takes it and he uses it to change the world. That's how good God is. I think about people like my mom. My mom, she lived in a, in a home where there was physical abuse. You know what? God brought her through that. God healed her, brought her through all that pain, and now she travels all over the world ministering to women in battered and in broken situations where they're being battered by their husbands. See, God can take the most broken areas of your life, and when you give them back to him, he brings healing and he pours grace on it, and then he uses it as service to other people. That's how good God is. I think about a guy from the Bay Area. I think his name, I think his name's Hal Donaldson, and Hal, he's the president and founder of uh, Convoy of Hope. And he was, I think, six years old or so, and his parents got in a bad car accident. His father passed away. His mother was uh, injured very bad, and uh, she wasn't able to take care of him or anything. And so Hal and his three siblings, they, uh, they had nowhere to go, completely in a des desperate situation. And Hal tells this story how 
He remembers being like six, seven years old with a garbage bag with all of his clothes in it. Him and his siblings, they had garbage bags with their clothes in it. And they were going from house to house. People were trying to find somewhere for them to stay because they, they had nothing. And he says, I remember standing on, on the doorstep of a double wide trailer. This is right here in the Bay Area. Standing on the doorstep of a double wide trailer. And I remember thinking, no one's ever going to take us in. And he said, I remember feeling so broken in that moment, the worst moment of my life. My, my, I've lost my father and we've lost everything. Everything I own is in a garbage bag and he's standing there and some family took, took these four kids in and he said he never forgets that moment of feeling his sweaty hand holding that trash bag. He remembers that moment. He remembers the feeling of not having anything and being all alone but he also remembers the warmth of this family that loved him and cared for him. Now he has founded Convoy of Hope and they send out uh, relief and aid work all over the world to help kids because he said, I want to help every kid that feels like they're in the worst moment of their life. See, God will take the worst moments, the worst things in your life. You know what? Some of the times I'm not the best preacher in the world. I'm not the best leader, all those things. I do my very best, but I'm not the best. But you know what? The most powerful things that I have, it's not preaching. It's not leadership gift. It's whenever I sit down with somebody and I'm able to share my story of how I walk through addiction and God set me free, and then I can share with them about how I walked through that, and God uses it to serve them. Or I talk about how I was abused, and I can sit there with that person, and I can tell them, hey, listen, I, was, I, I, know, what you're, I, I know your pain. I was abused too. Or, or, or you sit down with someone, and I'm able to talk to them about how I was so bitter towards my father, and God poured his grace into my heart, and, and if he could do it for me, he can do it for you. See, God wants to take the very things that you think have disqualified you. He wants to use them to serve other people. It's the way that he works. Let me give you one more scripture and then I'll shut up, I promise, okay? Here's your scripture really quick, just to prove that I'm not crazy. Going back to 2 Corinthians 1, this is what he says. This is the verses earlier than the, the verses we read earlier. Verse 3, he says, Paul says, Praise be to God and the Father, Lord, our, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of, look at this, of compassion, love, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, so that, we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, look at this, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. You know what he's saying? Say, saying, here's my perspective on the pain I've walked through, Paul says. I walk through pain so that God could comfort me in the middle of that, so that I could find other people in pain, similar to the pain I've walked through, and then the comfort that God has shown me, then God can comfort those around me with that same comfort. He says, here's the thing, my pain that I've walked through, my pain has a purpose the sufferings, the trials, and the troubles that we walk through, they all have a purpose, and it's to serve other people and to help other people. Listen, I wrote this down. In my worst moments, I choose to run to God and others. I choose to worship. I choose to focus on eternity. I choose to trust God. I choose to learn from my problems, and I choose to use my pain to help others. That's where we have to get in our life. I want you just to read this really quick with me the count of three. One, two, three. I choose to run to God and others. I choose to worship. I choose to focus on eternity. I choose to trust God. I choose to learn from my problems. 
I choose to use my pain to help others. When you walk through the worst moments of your life, you don't have to just survive them. You can thrive in those moments when you have a perspective like this. Amen? Come on, why don't you bow your heads with me. Father, we love you so much, and I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the encouragement that Paul gave the Corinthians there. And I think this is the encouragement for people today. He says, if you're walking through something, we serve a God that is the God of all comfort. He can comfort you in your discomfort, in your pain, in your troubles, in your trials. God is the God of all comfort. He can comfort you. He wants to be there with you. He wants to be there for you. Thanks for listening. Join us each week on the podcast or live in San Francisco, California. Keep up with life at Sozo Church by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.